Welcome to another edition of the Green Beige Podcast. As always, that is AJ. He is the green. I am Ken. I am the beige. And we are off and running again for another episode of the Green Beige Podcast. Wherever you are hearing us, wherever you are seeing us, go ahead and like, subscribe, and give us a review. Give us a comment. Tell others about this show because we always want more people to see us, hear us, and be involved. AJ, how are you doing, my friend? I'm good, my brother. Everything is good on this end. How about you? Well, things things could be better on this end, but we are giving thanks all the same. So, today we have some actual stuff to talk about. Um, it's not like if we are over here making up topics. Like, we've had to do a couple weeks um, just to make sure hey, that we... Don't, don't knock the made-up topics, though. We have some good made-up <laughs> topics. It is some true. good made-up topics. Yeah, we had some fun back then, but now we have, we actually got something from the NFL for us to talk about. So, off the rip, we are going to be looking at the NFL schedule. Now, I don't know why they thought that they needed to do it this way, but the NFL had a whole song and dance, a whole big production on the release of the schedule for 2021. Now, I saw mixed, well, really, I didn't see very many mixed reviews about the whole schedule release show because most people just like me were like, we'll just wait to see what the entire bracket is. We'll see what our entire schedule looks like heading into the season. And it's not as if we didn't know that, you know, who the teams are going to be facing. It's just we didn't know what time they might be scheduled. We didn't know exactly how the games are going to fall. But we have the week, well, we have the entire schedule out. But to go through the entire schedule at this point will be way too tedious. So, AJ, off the rip, when you look at the 18-week schedule that we have, especially with regards to week one, which game or games jump out to you the most? Obviously, um, the very first game, the Thursday night game, um, with Dallas at the Bucks, <laughs> I, I just because of I mean America's team, um, Dak Dak is supposed to be back uh, after that horrific injury. Um, the Bucks coming off of the Super Bowl win, obviously. So, I uh, good way to start the season. I I I can't I can't act like I'm most excited seeing Tampa Bay playing Dallas in Week One, but still, I mean it's a good enough storyline. Um, yeah, uh, not not only. <laughs> I mean, we start against Miami at home against Miami. Miami usually always gives us some problems, so that is of personal interest to me. Um, of course, and then there's like the big AFC game, which is Kansas City versus Cleveland. Um, I guess it, it. To be honest, those three particularly sort of jumped out at me. Um, Green Bay at New, at New Orleans as well, based on the condition. That has an asterisk next to it, right? Mm. Um, because if Aaron Rodgers is not there, I don't care. If he is, then, <laughs> then <laughs> if Aaron Rodgers is not there, I don't I can't tell you how many Green Bay games I will be looking at or trying to go out of my way to look at this year. But uh yeah, so far. I mean, to a lesser extent as well, there's Chicago at LA, but yeah, I think it's like um 
those four. Ziva Seattle, Indianapolis, lesser extent too, but eh. so for, for me, for me, it's mainly if Aaron Rodgers stays, Green Bay at New Orleans, um, us beginning the season at Miami, uh, Cleveland at Kansas City, and definitely the opening day game where reigning champion Buccaneers host the Dallas Cowboys. Well, I can't argue with any of the picks that you have made. Um, for obvious reasons, I will be watching when the Packers come to the Mercedes-Benz Superdome to see what happens. And After, yeah. Yeah, that, that, is a, <laughs> that one is a given. Um, the Cowboys versus the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers have obviously positioned themselves as our greatest rival within our division now. So I will definitely be watching that game as well. <clears throat> to be honest, America's team has not been my team, has never been my team. So that's one of those games that I'd be very happy with a kiss on the cheek. Both of those teams find a way to draw, to tie the game. <laughs> Nobody actually winning. Wishful thinking. <laughs> <laughs> but it should be an exciting game. Um, yeah, we know yeah. that based on what we have seen last season, the Cowboys, when Dak is healthy, he had a dynamic offense before, for all intents and purposes. The offense should be just as dynamic coming into this season, especially knowing that they've also you know, tried to do a little work at the tight end position because they didn't really get much from their tight ends last season. And then Tampa Bay, they brought all their starters back. Of course, they are still going to try to find ways to strengthen. So we'll see what their team looks like heading into week one. No, a sneaky good game that I anticipate for that first Sunday in the early slot is the Steelers at the Bills. That game is going to be very, very interesting. It will be. I agree. Yeah. Because we know that Josh Allen is, is positioning himself to be the great Josh Allen. And the Steelers, they now have to try to find a way to salvage some face after the way how last season ended. So... The one thing, though, that we will definitely have to agree on is that the, especially the opening weekend, is going to be replete with storylines. And definitely. like we have, yes, I'm even sorry not to cut you, but I'm even ahead. looking at, I'm even looking at like San Francisco at Detroit on a regular day. No one really cares, <laughs> but I feel like, but the storyline here, no, obviously with Jared Goff is like I'm kind of, I'm kind of interested. I can't sit down and watch Detroit play. An entire game of football, but it will definitely have my interest at least, you know, to see this new chapter in in Detroit football history with knee biting and Jared Goff and you know, it it yeah it it is it's full of storylines. I love it, I love it. It is going it well. I mean, I'm looking just glancing through the schedule and is like I can come up with a storyline for every single game, but of course we still have a whole summer ahead of us. So there's no reason for us to get that deep, get that heavy into the schedule and these storylines because for Just sure. One more though. Just sure, one more. Is there is there is there another like is this this is like one of the, the better storylines? It is not that of that great an importance, but mm -hmm. it's just one of the more funny storylines. Is there a better storyline, more funny storyline than than the Jets being at Carolina in week one? <laughs> was Sammy Spitz coming up against the X-Crew? <laughs> Yo, I love it. 
this guy, they knew what they were doing, though. They knew what they were doing. Of course, they even though there are teams, as you made mention of with Detroit, that you know it's unlikely that you would sit down and watch on purpose a whole yeah. game <laughs> of Detroit Lions football. Even though like the Lions have found a way to be on our TVs every Thanksgiving. We there are enough storylines throughout the NFL that you will have some measure of interest in each game, regardless of, well, I can't say regardless of who's playing, at least early in the season, before teams' records start becoming what we expect them to be. So, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in week one. To week one, man. But, of course, you know, the season isn't just one week long. There are some key games, or at least one key game, that from the time the schedule makers um, released the schedule, that lots of fans immediately circled on their calendars. This is week four, October 3, the Sunday night game where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers roll into Gillette Stadium to take on Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. So, AJ, that is your squad and your man's. So, when you look at this at this key um, football game, I mean, it's, just, it's still just one game on the schedule, but when you look at this game, what goes through your mind? What are the emotions that you're feeling looking at Tom coming back home? To Gillette. Um, yeah, this is this is uncharted territory for me because, I mean, I, it, last season I at least got to watch two separate entities, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, he had his season with the Bucks, and it was almost like a separate world from from the Patriots, right? But now the fact that, as George Costanza said, worlds are colliding. Um, it's, it's it. I, I honestly don't know how to feel. I can't tell you no. It, I, I I don't think I've processed it as yet. Um, honestly, I might have to tell you on the night. When we get closer to that time, I'll have to let you know. But as of right now, I don't know. Um, the, the thing is, I'm going to want my team to win. I, I don't like to see Tom struggle. But at the same time, I don't want him to win. He could win every other game this season except for that one. I want my team to win. But, I mean, I, I just hope it'll generally be a good game. You know how I felt about us last season. Wasn't very confident for the most part, but trying to be a bit more optimistic this year. Cautiously optimistic, but optimistic nonetheless. Um, yeah, in terms of the emotion of the game itself, I don't know. It, I, I feel I might, it, it might have to be closer to the day, I'll let you know. But as of now, it, it, I can't quite compute it as yet. Just looking at it, it just seems, it seems odd. Something seems off, but <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll have to process it more when the time comes. So, so the dichotomy that you are experiencing at this point in time is music to my ears. Because all of you Brady disciples humbug the NFC South all year last year. All year. Especially because you didn't have anything to cheer about with what was happening with the Patriots. So you were out there reveling in everything that Tom was doing. 
So now Tom is coming home with his squad. So, yeah. I mean, is this on the night game? I don't, I'll be watching it. I don't know how I'm going to find somebody to root for in that game because it's the team that I've hated for the longest against the team in my division that just won the Super Bowl. There, I have almost as little love for Tampa Bay as I do for New England. And of course, the poster child from New England is now a Tampa Bay. So I, you I mean, on, you on the complete other end of the spectrum from me, huh? Yeah, I mean, it's just is is very much like that Dallas versus Tampa Bay opening game. If the game draws, if the game ties, I will not complain because I can't really root. But actually, let me stick up in there. If Cam Newton is the quarterback of the New England Patriots. I'll be rooting for the Patriots. If Cam Newton is not the quarterback for the Patriots, then both of those teams can find a hole and jump in it. Because I will not really want either team to win. Yeah, that's um that's something that did cross my mind. You know, like where where will the Patriots be at that time? It's only week four, but still a lot can happen with the quarterback position in three weeks. And even three weeks and a quarter or two quarters, you know? So Mm -hmm. Um, a lot will, yeah. I, I, I guess that too will kind of, uh, um, in a sense, kind of like channel how I feel about this. Basically, I mean, based on the money that Bill spent, uh, like we already acknowledged, we're not going out there to just. This is not a rebuild. This is trying to get back to the playoffs and make something of ourselves, right? So, um, yeah, it it is just to be to to see like how, because I honestly believe Cam will be the starter in week one. And and I've I've said before I feel like he should be, despite all my criticisms of him last season, he has he has more time to work with the team and everything. And on on paper he's the best quarterback that we have, right? So I feel like he should be. So it just remains to be seen, like um, how the first three weeks will progress, and then and and you you you're never above, above being benched in a game, though. No? Well, not based on anyone we have in our roster, right? <laughs> Um, so you never know what could happen. That that I, I think that was a, that's a crucial point actually. Um, yeah, that that could because you, you, even though it's still like a, a discussion as to what is going to happen in the in the Patriots quarterback room and whatnot. So it just remains to be seen who will be on the opposite side of of Tampa Bay's defense. Who will be the opposing quarterback to Tom in that week? Or will it be one? Will it be two? How is Bill gonna gonna handle this? Is he you want to go gung-ho and try to throw everything at all, you know? I, I don't know. It's one of the better storylines, again, for you more so than me, though, but... <laughs> yeah, definitely. Now, the other thing that I wanted to make mention of at this point when we were looking at the schedule, because, you know, we're just looking generally at the schedule. We're not narrowing down or going nitty-gritty. But my Saints, <clears throat> my Saints, even though we have never been the darling of the NFL and we probably never will be even for all of the time that Drew Brees was the starting quarterback like we did get a few primetime games but the national interest and the national coverage in the team was never really there but this season the Saints have five primetime games five the most of any team in the league so when I saw that we had five primetime games and the way how the schedule is set up, you can only flex 
I think up until like week 14 or something like that. So of the five games that we have, we have two night games. I think we have two Monday night games, one Sunday night game, and then two games that are the NFL game of the week on Fox, which is still another primetime slot. Only one of those games can be flexed out of its current location. So that means that for those who don't necessarily root for the Saints, they're going to see the Saints four times this year, at least. Now, I don't know how it is for you, but for me, it makes me feel good that my, my team at least is a ratings puller, if nothing else. And the interest that this team is going to generate for this coming season is going to be significant. We've lost a lot of pieces. We lost our starting quarterback, who probably should have retired before last season, but now he's gone and there's uncertainty as to what the Saints are going to look like in this 2021 season. So to see the Saints get these number of games, I just hope they perform because if they don't perform, we're going to have a lot of eyes on us when we're playing bad football. Um, so correct me if I'm wrong here. So your five games are Tampa Bay, Seattle, Buffalo, Dallas, and Miami, right? Yes. All right. So I was kind of going, I mean, <laughs> so I, when I saw this, saw this topic, I was like, all right, I know Ken is definitely going to enjoy this. It's, it's always better, you know, like to have your team in prime time is, is a big deal. To have five games, that is a huge deal. I'm like, all right, I know you're going to enjoy this. So I had to check the games because I'm like, all right, cool. I know one of the, one of them had to be the, the Tampa Bay matchup, right? Yes. Like, all right, cool. That's fair enough. Um, the Seahawks, I get it. Russell Wilson and the Seahawks would always would always like if there is a big matchup. I I guess I kind of get that. Buffalo, I kind of get it too. Cowboys, like the Cowboys, just always pull pull these kind of games. No matter how crappy they are, they yes. will always be America's team, so they'll always be there. You know, Jerry runs a show. Yes. For the life of me, I can't understand why the Miami Dolphins and the New Orleans Saints have a prime time. That like that is the one that has me beat the most. You know. The, the others, I, I can come to some level of understanding and be like, yeah, all right, I, I guess. The Saints do have a storyline now, having moved on from Drew Brees and blah, blah, blah. I even, And that's me being fair, because at the same time, we lost some of our uh, um, cachet, essentially, after Tom left. We didn't have that many. We just got pushing, um, thrown in with the rest. After Tom left, it was, we didn't have that many, like, primetime games after that. So I'm like, all right, cool. If, if operating by the same dynamic, I would have expected the Saints to, to have that same situation, but they didn't. All right, fair enough, I guess. What it's whatever, but it's just really the Dolphins one, though. The Dolphins and the Saints, really, really. Yeah, it's it's interesting that the Dolphins and the Saints get a Sunday night game because that is a Sunday night game on December twenty seventh, but. One of the reasons, too, that like you may mention of like what happened when the Patriots lost Tom and then basically fell out of the spotlight and the Saints losing Drew and basically getting elevated even further into the spotlight. Now, I get what you're saying, but there are some comparisons that don't fall in the favor of the New England Patriots. The Patriots for as long as I can remember, have 
always had this next man up kind of philosophy. And it is more about the team than it is about the players. So you have Tom, you have Bill, well, you had Gronk, and then it was a whole bunch of names and numbers. It was a nameless, faceless team just with cogs that were performing. When Tom is gone, the draw is gone. Gronk had retired. There was who are we tuning in to see? Now, the on the other hand, the Saints still have Michael Thomas. They still have Alvin Kamara. They still have a lot of the great pieces on defense. So they have players that you know. They have personalities. I mean, there's nobody on your Patriots team that is going to wear one red shoe, one green shoe, and score six touchdowns at Christmas. Nobody. So has to find a way to weasel that in, huh? But I mean, a- <laughs> I just, it, but but it's a valid point. You you cannot you you cannot say then that because we've lost one player, we still have players that are in the spotlight for varying reasons, positive reasons at that. So it kind of made sense that the Saints will still get prime time games. I just didn't see five of them. Come yeah, like, I mean, and don't get me wrong, like I'm saying, I. For the most part, I did get it, you know. I, I, but okay, I, I accept that explanation with regards to that comparison, right? I get that. Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm not apoplectic over the fact that the Saints still got some primetime games after Drew left. Like I said, I understand because some of these are games that you would want fans to like. You know, fans would want to see. Like, like you said, y'all have the the personalities, offense, defense, like some big names, and the Saints are still a really good storyline, especially no. So, like, the Tampa Bay game, that's, that's obvious to me. Yeah, like, that's a given. You know, there's, you're right, correct. That's a given. Um, Seahawks, Bills, and Cowboys, I actually do understand. Like I'm saying, the only one that perplexes me a bit <laughs> is the Dolphins. I just, mm-hmm. I think, and I didn't, I didn't check the other, ske- the, the entire schedule for that day. So I can't really say, compare it and say, well, there, like, this game should be it or whatever. But I just feel like there is another game that could have taken that slot. That's the only one that has me a bit baffled. Like, really? That's the best we could do for that damn? I mean, it's Sunday night, like you said. I'm still going to watch it. Don't get me wrong. But that was just the one that had me like, huh? The Dolphins? I didn't get it. But the others I'm I'm okay with. It's not like a big deal. But I appreciate that explanation, though. I never thought about it from that perspective. Understood. Now, AJ, I know you don't really like talking about this guy, but we have to um, make mention of your um, favorite coach, Urban Meyer, because Urban Meyer came out in the in the media and made some interesting comments about Travis Etienne. M- Meyer has said that he is not considering Etienne to just be a running back but he considers him to be what he calls a slash, otherwise being a hybrid running back and wide receiver to be used in the mold of Percy Harvin. And he has said that he has been using um, Mr. Etienne in these rookie minicamps as both wide receiver and running back. So, AJ, when you see Urban Meyer looking to put uh, Travis Etienne in the position of the hybrid player, 
What are your thoughts? All right, no, so you just, you started off by saying it. You know how I feel generally about Urban Meyer. And I'm talking about as a coach. Like, I don't really care to cast aspersions on him as an individual. I don't know him like that. I'm speaking about the things he does as a coach, right? So every little conniption I have is with him as a head coach, right? So again, when I saw this, I, I, saying that to say, above everything, as, as much as I am not his biggest fan, I like to be fair, right? So when I saw this, I was like, what? I, the first reaction was, oh, what, what, what's happening? Because I'm like, all right, so you, you use the pick to take a running back when you have one of the top running backs in the league from the prior season. And then all of a sudden, no, yes, we understand that he is, he is for want, for want of a better term, he, he, you could already consider him a stash. But to, to say that, that then you're going to give him reps at receiver in the training camp, I'm like, what? So I had to do a little digging. And you mentioned the fact that it seems like he wants to make the new person you have. And this man just trying to bring back Florida, clearly. clearly. This man just really missed Florida. Um, I, this, the, like I said, the first reaction was like, what, what, like this, this man is Clemson's all-time leading rusher, though. Like, what? I just drafted him. Um, it, it, it just didn't make sense to me. But then, I, I, I was reading something that said that, um, some of this happened to one, one of the catalysts for, for going uh, that caused it, this turn of events was the fact that Trevor Lawrence had that surgery on his shoulder and he was only scheduled to have like a limited number of throws and he, he wasn't due to have any handoffs um, due to recovery, like in, in training or whatnot, right? So, which is why Urban decided to use um, Etienne otherwise. Um, yeah, and and one thing, I, I it, it, it kind of just shows how badly he wanted a receiver because I, I don't know if you recall, but he wanted Kadarius Tony, right? Mm-hmm. All right, and then the Giants ended up taking him um, like about five picks ahead of when they draw, and then they ended up pivoting and taking Etienne instead. Because all right, you lose a receiver, but so this man, I, in the grand scheme of things, though, I, I want to be fair and say I understand why that may have ha- have happened then. But if this had happened in isolation, like it was just a one-off something. I would, I would understand a bit more, but it's Urban Meyer. So I honestly feel like there's a lot more going on behind here and that this is just another bad decision that's going to manifest itself into the Jaguars being even more terrible than they were last year. I just feel it. It, it could, I might be biased. I don't care. I just don't see how this is. I feel like this is something that's not going to work out. The, the man has just been making some decisions that I, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't, and I'm not saying this has nothing to do with Travis Etienne's actual ability. The man is actually really good. Like I watch him enough as well. The man is really good. The guy's really good. But it's Urban Meyer though. I just I have less faith in Urban Meyer than I do more faith in Travis Etienne. Essentially, I just I just feel like this is this is not the right direction to take. But hey, what do I know? Understood. So when I was looking at this particular topic, especially when, you know, like, because obviously if you take a running back in the first round, everybody expects that you're going to use the running back as a running back. And if you then say that I'm going to use the running back as a way receiver and all of the reps he's taking in camp is at way receiver, it would 
cause any reasonable, reasonable, rational thinking individual to pause. But when, like I said, when I started doing my research, one of the interesting things I saw, it was that yes, Etienne was the leading rusher for Clemson, basically throughout his entire college career. And I think he's probably top no in their rushing standings for his college career at the school. But one of the main reasons they said that Etienne came back to college was to showcase his skills as a wide receiver, well, not as a wide receiver necessarily, but as a pass-catching running back. And in the last season, among running backs in the college football standings, Etienne had a 90.9 receiving grade, he had 588 receiving yards, 29 first downs or touchdowns. All of these ranked first in the college football standing. I did see that standing. as well. I did see that as well. So it's like if you only have a screwdriver, you're not going to use the screwdriver to put in a nail. However, if you have a multi-purpose tool, you can do more things with that tool. And is unfortunately, or I should say fortunately for Travis Etienne and everybody else like him, he's not a quarterback where they consider that having the ability to do more than one thing well is a bad thing. Him being able to catch balls out the backfield, him, able, him being able to run routes effectively works in his favor. It will help him to get paid and it'll keep him in the league a little bit longer. So from that perspective, I don't have a problem with it necessarily. And as you said, they did have James Robinson last season, who was excellent for them, and is an undrafted free agent running back. So at this point, the sky's the limit. We, we just don't know how good this guy can be for them until we actually get to see them put it on the field. But all power to him. I'm I'm on board with this decision. No, I, I I don't get me wrong. Again, I like I want the man to succeed. You know, I don't want any of these kids to to become flawed. I'm not rooting against anyone. Uh, like Urban Meyer actually said, I saw a quote from him saying, "Worst case scenario, you have a running back that's elite with receiver skills." Uh, I guess all right, fair enough. I is listen, Ken. The only the only hesitation I have with this is that it's Urban Meyer. We've just seen a. <laughs> We've just seen a lot, a, a, not a long list, but a list of, of long enough for me of bad decisions when it comes to like just taking personnel and whatnot. So I, I just don't trust it, but I mm -hmm. want to. So I'll have to see it over time. I'll have to see this develop over time and then I'll be cool with it. But for right now, I'm just like, uh, I don't trust you. I don't. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, until we see it, we won't know for sure. And well, as you have gone on record many times with your love for one Urban Meyer. So now we move into our favorite topic, our favorite segment of the show, where it is Who Do You Trust? Now, Who Do You Trust this week is going to look a little, it's going to sound a little different um, because now we're not just like asking if we trust this particular team or that particular team or this coach or that player, 
But we're also, we're going to be taking a look at it again with the schedule having been released. We're looking at these teams, these playoff teams from last season. So the NFL, since 2001, they have an average of, well, let's say 5.6 teams per postseason that return to the playoffs every year. Now, at that time, that amounted to a 46.9% turnover. So that means that last season, no, because last season was the first time that we had six teams at work on the World Card weekend with the first seed in both conferences having the bye. So I'll just quickly remind the folks who we had playing last season in the playoffs. We had Baltimore, we had Tennessee, we had Cleveland and Pittsburgh. We had Indianapolis and the Bills over on the AFC side. And on the NFC, we had Tampa, Washington, the Rams, Seattle, Chicago, New Orleans. And of course, the first seeds were Green Bay and Kansas City. So AJ, the first one in who do you trust? Of these, form, of these past um, playoff teams, which playoff teams do you trust or which playoff team especially do you trust to drop out of the playoffs? I'm sorry to say this so emphatically, given that it's my, my home city, but Washington. <laughs> I, I, I know, I, 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 and I said I was going to get into this. I mentioned I expect Dallas, I expect Dallas to win this division. This is not really, like you said, as you eloquently put it, it's a dumpster fire division. Dallas were without Dak, they finished six and ten. It was like they were a game behind, a single game behind Washington. And, and Dak is back, and Washington do not have a quarterback. And I don't want to hear anything about Ryan Fitzpatrick. <laughs> the thing, the thing is, well, I I don't I I Dallas are going to have a winning record as I, God forbid Dak is to go down injured again and I I would really go I mean was it likely here that right he already had his big injury he should be back Dallas are going to have a uh, um a winning record they they'll be over five hundred they'll win the division they'll get in as for Washington I don't expect them they only got in they were below five hundred they only got in because they won the division right. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be good enough again this year. They're not. I, I mean, I like what they're doing on like what they did and what I expect them to continue doing on defense. It's not going to be good enough in 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 that conference. So em, emphatically, my number one answer is is Washington, um, Chicago as well. I don't know if I trust Chicago. I don't know if I trust Chicago um, to make it this year. Too much uncertainty at that quarterback position. I'm not as as good as Justin Fields is supposed to be. I don't know if I'm going to give him enough credit right now to suggest that he brings his team um, back to the playoffs. Last year they were an eight and eight team. Um, finish a game ahead of, of Minnesota. I, I I just don't see them having gotten better this season. Uh, I. I'm not as emphatic with this prediction as I am with Washington, but I, I just don't see it for them. Green Bay has an asterisk next to it. Again, their name will continue to have an asterisk, asterisk next to it until we find out what's happening with Aaron Rodgers. If Aaron Rodgers does not return to this team, Green Bay making no postseason. 
It's as simple as that. And and the one that may shock you, um, shock you that I will say, is I honestly feel, <laughs> I I I don't want to be disrespectful, but I honestly feel like it, this could be the year Seattle drops out. Uh, I honestly feel so. It's no disrespect to them, but I, I it feels like the division is getting it like on paper that's that's arguably like the toughest or at least one of the toughest divisions in the league, right? And I feel like the other teams are getting themselves together. I know you don't rate Jimmy and whatnot, but they, they seem to have a um, San Francisco have a contingency plan. Do I think they'll win the division? Not necessarily, but I think that having Jimmy and then Trey Lance red shooting and then possibly, you never know if he has to end up coming in at some point to take over. I feel that it's good enough to, to propel them from six and 10. I think Seattle are going to have a, a, some tough times in that division. Um, Arizona were eight and eight, barely didn't make it. The Rams gotten better at the quarterback position, well, on paper at least. I don't. I don't want to be disrespectful to a twelve and fourteen, but I don't know. The, the, this division seems like a toss up to me, and I. I don't know. I, I don't feel satisfied that Seattle has filled their needs enough. To, to stay at, atop this division. I just don't. Okay. So you stick primarily to the NFC when you looked at the teams that are not going to return. No. Actually, yeah, 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 yeah. I I um I just realized that I, I did have some... No, go ahead, go ahead. I'll get to that, the other part after. Sorry, go ahead. No, that's fine. That is no problem. Um, so I, I just... Found it interesting that even how you were describing them as in the teams that you don't trust to make it back, we're all on the NFC side. But I do share some of the concerns that you have with regards to um, Seattle primarily, because Seattle, their running game floundered coming on towards the end of the season. Russ, they let Russ cook at the beginning, and then he, you know, he seemed to have taken off his apron somewhere along the middle of the season and it, it didn't quite work going down the stretch. So I, I have a little difficulty um, predicting that Seattle is going to make it back. When I look over on the AFC side, the one team of all of them that immediately stands out or immediately jumps out at me, and this might surprise you a bit, seeing as though I have been on record with my affinity for their quarterback but the Tennessee Titans. Because the Tennessee Titans, they have lost some of their wide receiving core. Um, their offense is still extremely dependent on Derrick Henry and his production. So we we don't know. Right now, they, they have some aging players now on the defensive side, especially on the outside. And... They're playing in the division with the Indianapolis Colts, who believe they've just upgraded at quarterback. And they still have, well, we don't know what the Texans are going to look like. And I know you don't have a lot of faith in the Jaguars, but I believe the Jaguars can win the odd game here or there. And one of those odd games they could pick up could be against the Titans. So the Titans could be the one of those AFC teams that has, to me, the greatest possibility of falling out. And if I wanted to call a second name, it would be remiss of me to mention the Titans. 
I don't say the Browns because you know what's coming. That this, this I thought this was going to be the first one. I thought this was go ahead, go ahead, kind sir. No, but one. I I cannot dismiss what the Browns did last season. The Browns were much better than anticipated. But the fact of the matter is, they were much better than anticipated. We still expect the Browns to be the Browns. And when you're talking about the Browns being the Browns, as you may have mentioned just now, the Browns have one of the most difficult schedules coming into the next season. So if there's a team that could find themselves on the outside looking in because the teams that have easier schedules have been able to take advantage of said schedules, it could be the Browns that find themselves on the outside. My team blasphemous and sacrilegious. I didn't even put my team together. And the, the thing is, I, I want to believe that we're going to improve from seven and nine, at least enough to have a, a record that gets us into a wildcard spot. But it's just kind of hard for me to pick who who drops out. You mentioned Tennessee, and I actually, I actually understand where you're coming from. And, and um they were kind of one of the teams I had because in, in that division specifically, I, I think is where we could see a change in the guard. I honestly feel like the Colts could win that division this season. And as with, with all the things that you pointed out, I, I think those are fair points and Tennessee could be the one to drop out. So, I mean, from the, from the New England side of me, I'm hoping that if we get in, I'm hoping that we could get in. And if we do, I guess the one team I could see that I, I ain't ready to count all the Browns yet. I still feel like the Browns are going to be double figures in wins, at least. I really okay. still feel so. And I don't trust many of the other teams in, in these. I, even Miami with the 10 and 6, I I don't know if I, if I trust them to be higher than that. Nah, it, probably 9 and 7 for me. But Tennessee, I, 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 I completely understand where you're coming from there, though. So the, the second part of who do you trust? And I mean, we kind of merged the two of them at this point, which is which teams we expected then or which teams we trusted to be able to make a push to get into to these positions. Like, I, I don't have a good handle on who wins the NFC East. You, you have Dallas winning the division. I don't trust Mick McCarthy. The same way you don't trust Urban Meyer, I feel the exact same way about Mick McCarthy. As, as much as the Cowboys struggled last season when that went down, Andy Dalton is still a good enough quarterback that they should have been better than they were. And a lot of that came down to the play calling and the just general game management of Mitt McCarthy. Mitt McCarthy looked pretty good for a while while he had Aaron Rodgers. And then they got rid of him because clearly he was not good enough to make them successful. He no longer has Aaron Rodgers. He has Dak Prescott. He has more offensive weapons, but he doesn't have the superstar quarterback or at least he didn't seem to have the superstar quarterback at the beginning of the season, that came out and was playing the best football of his career. Unfortunately, he got injured. But it's not as if to say that the Dallas Cowboys were winning these games 34 to 14. They were winning games 
I'm trying to remember the actual scores, but so forgive me. I don't remember what their scores were like, but I remember that they were scoring like 40 points and their opponents were scoring 30. The, the games were always close because the team was not managing the game. The running game fell off completely. So I, I, I can't sit here and say that I trust the Dallas Cowboys to get there. Philadelphia is still full of question marks. And then there's the Giants, who I, I personally don't trust Daniel Jones. I don't. So I, I can't put any NFC East team in there. It's literally, it's like a lucky dip. You, you shut your eyes, you put your hand inside the cap, and whichever name pulls out could win the division. That's the way how I see the East. Now, on the AFC side... You, you know what I find funny about that? Sorry, not to cut you, but you know what I find ahead. funny about that is the fact that you are more of the advocate for Dak than I was in, in, in recent past. So it's kind of funny to hear you not believing in him enough to win. Because, I, I mean, the man is, is the best quarterback in that division, the best starting quarterback in that division. He is. He is. So I'm, I'm kind of surprised to hear you not putting enough faith in him. To, I, I I, but you know what? I get it. Because since you compared your distrust of Mick McCarthy to mine with Urban Meyer, I, I can't really argue against that. Exactly is my my issue with the Dallas Cowboys is not Doc. As long as Doc is healthy, the numbers are going to come. But I don't trust his coach to put them in the positions that they need to be in to win these games. So no, I'm sorry, but no, I I I can't put the Cowboys. I can't say that the Cowboys are my pick to get in there. Is the NFC East is the lucky division. Anything can happen there. On the AFC side, it's a lot more difficult to see how things are going to change coming into the season. I expect that the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to drop back. I expect that the Baltimore Ravens are going to take a step forward. And there is the potential that the Browns also take a step forward. Is it going to be enough that the Pittsburgh Steelers steps all the way out of the playoffs with six potential spots that they well? three potential spots that they could get because I don't really see them winning the division this year. I can't say that for sure because we don't know what the rest are going to do. The When you look at the AFC West, it's difficult to see how things are going to move around in, in that division because the AFC West is Kansas City. Kansas City is going to be the creme de la creme until Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid are no longer there. But behind them, is a whole lot of shuffling. So the Las Vegas Raiders, we know that their head coach made some extremely questionable decisions when he makes ready, especially in terms of roster development and personnel. We've already seen that with the draft. We've seen that with free agency. The Raiders seem to think that they're smarter than everybody else. And then they don't put the product on the field that makes it seem that way. So we'll see what they do. The... Uh, my Denver Broncos can't stay fit. Men keep getting hurt. Like we saw um, the wide receiver, Deshaun, I don't remember his last name. I think it's Hamilton. He tore, yeah, Deshaun Hamilton, he tore his ACL. And for the purposes of not getting into a rant this week, he too might be looking at getting his money taken because it didn't happen at the facility. So the, the Denver Broncos can't stay fit. And then the fourth team in division, the Los Angeles Chargers, good luck trying to pin down what is what they're going to do any season. So 
and that's just one division that I'm just using for an example. It's really hard then to look at the AFC and see, okay, this team is going to take that step forward and be the team that either wins the division or gets into the playoffs ahead of one of these teams that were in last year. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I get it. And you already spoke about the South um, in the AFC, that is. With regards to the East, like I said, like I had said before, I'm I'm expecting I'll I'll be optimistic and expect us to to be good enough <sighs> to get our wild card spot. You can see I'm still saying it without any any real conviction, but um, I need to see how we start the season. I get what you mean about the AFC West. I will say though, the one team for this section, the one team that I did have an asterisk next to as well to possibly get in, believe it or not, is the Chargers. It might be blind faith there. It might be blind faith, but they were seven and nine last year. They actually um, gave up less points than both the Raiders and the Broncos. Um, I, I can't really tell you offhand. I know all of their offseason transactions, but I think uh, and in Justin Herbert's sophomore year, I think he's going to be better. So that seven and nine could turn into at least... Obviously, it's going to be a wild card because we know Kansas City has a division on lock. But I think that they could be pushing, possibly, possibly, possibly. I, I, I just think they'll, they'll be better. So I, I could potentially see them pushing um, or knocking on the door of the wild card. Uh, I do get your concerns about the Steelers as well, and this this one for me comes down to coaching too. I. I believe in Tomlin enough that I think they're going to get into the postseason. Will they be great? I don't know. But I think the Steelers have always been solid enough under and consistent enough under Tomlin that even if they're not great, he's going to get them above 500 and into the postseason. So even if they don't win the division, I still expect them to be in the, in, in the playoffs. Okay. Fair enough. Well, I think we can leave it there for this week for Who Do You Trust? Because we now have a new segment to debut this week this week we are bringing in a segment because it's all men's quotes that we're using this week is that's what he said and this segment we're going to be it may not be an every week thing but whenever we have some interesting comments that come out that we believe should be brought to the people and that we can have some interesting conversation on that's what we're going to do and this week, AJ, did you hear Teddy Bridgewater on um, Matt Rule and the Panthers? Very much did. So I'll just I'll just um give a quick um talk or quick rundown of what one Mr. Bridgewater said. Now, of course, everybody should be aware that Teddy Bridgewater has been traded from Carolina and he is now over here in Denver. And he was giving an interview on the All Things Covered podcast from CBS Sports with Patrick Peterson and Brent McFadden. And they asked, you know, we're talking to him about what happened to him while he was in Carolina. He said, one of the things we didn't do much of when it was there, we didn't practice two-minute drills, we didn't practice red zone, we didn't practice on Fridays, but you walked through the red zone stuff, and then Saturday you came out and practiced red zone, but you only got 15 live reps. 
Of course, this had a direct impact on Bridgewater's performance. He said, well, his numbers showed that Bridgewater ranked 25th among qualified quarterbacks in the red zone with a total QBR of 41.7. He only completed 58.5% of his passes in the red zone compared with 69.1% overall. Now, of course, Matt Rule would not let Teddy Bridgewater have the last say on this. He said that, you know, he was disappointed that Bridgewater didn't feel, a good, feel, didn't feel good about the club's practice methods. He says, I'm not going to delve into specifics about our process. Some of that is specific to us. But I feel really good about our preparation and the amount of work our coaches put in and the amount of work our players put in. The amount of practice work, I think we push them in a really smart way. So, AJ, that's what Rule said. And that's what Bridgewater said. So what are your thoughts on this little tete-a-tete between the former starting quarterback and his former head coach? Quarterback speaking up about the inefficiencies of his former team that just let him go. Uh, we've seen this movie before. This is like, this is, this is, we've seen this plot before. This is every Jason Statham movie. You, you, know, exactly, you know exactly how it's going to go down, right? Um, to be honest, right? <laughs> Reading a transcript, and I know you saw, I, I've, I had a discussion in one of our chats earlier this week, and I was talking about the difference between reading a transcript and then actually looking at the, the, the clip or segment, or, or in this case, listening to the soundbite or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. So reading it, 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 it would come across very, you know, a little bitter in a sense, but I actually listened, got to listen to the soundbite. And in Teddy's defense, I honestly don't think he meant anything by it, it didn't come across with any kind of vitriol, in my opinion. It didn't necessarily sound bitter. It was, um, it, it's, it sounded more like a side note to a question he was asked, right? Could he have gone without saying it though? I, I do believe so. Um, but then like, it's, for me, as a personal thing. Like I just don't see the need to like comment on that kind of stuff. I, I think he should have been a bit more tight-lipped but I, it's it's still I, it doesn't rub me the wrong way necessarily because I don't think he meant it uh, um, to come off like that. Um, so essentially, he was asked a question, and then the part where he talks about the Panthers' practice methods was an extension of the question because he he ended up saying for Joe Brady's sake that he hopes that they do this and this and you know do things differently. And I, honestly, I think McFadden, McFadden, Brad McFadden specifically, kind of hyped it up to make it sound like a, a bigger deal than it was like you know like <laughs> I, I it I, it just didn't come across to me like teddy was better he he was just he was just speaking he was a football player in the zone speaking about and, and no pun intended but he was in his mental zone speaking about the game about football you know about the tactical side of it the you know the practice like it didn't come across as if he was trying to take a shot at matt rule and the panthers Maybe maybe um, um, subconsciously there was something there, but it actually didn't come out that way to me. Like it didn't actually sound that way. So um, I'm not really too thrown off by it, but I do think that he could have done without it. Like at the same time, yeah, there's no need to divulge that kind of information. But like I said, it just seemed like he kind of was rattling it off while being in a zone. So I... I'm known by many of my friends to be kind of petty. I am the I am the petty one 
that does not let the wrong. opportunity to be slay and get a dig in. When the when it is placed on a platter, I will eat. However, I don't think that Teddy was actually being petty in this case. No, in this this week, this week especially, we have seen people coming out in defense of their name and telling basically like, you know, that viral um, breakfast club clip with Birdman, when he went in there, put some respect on my name. We've seen that in the basketball world this week. And when I see these comments from Teddy, I just put it in the same exact category. Teddy Bridgewater has been given the reputation of being a dink and dunk quarterback. He had a level of accuracy that was being ascribed to his name, which he was not able to match up to when he was in Carolina last season. He has just been gotten rid of for basically nothing, as it were, because they gave him three years and then they just shipped him out and tossed him over to Denver because Denver was the one willing to take him. Just that you know, we had the analogy of the DVD man before, where it's like, what you got in your pockets, just give me hold this DVD and we can keep it moving. So Teddy No is forced to have to defend himself. And when you ask the question, like what happened in Carolina, he's have he's going to have to give her an explanation as to why he had these struggles. And the numbers back him up. It's not as if to say, you know, he's just out here talking over the turn and nothing goes with it. He has the evidence to support what he's saying. So I don't think Teddy was being petty. I don't think that he was operating like how I tend to operate from time to time. I, I give him a pass on this because what he's saying is facts. It is, but in, and in addition to that, too, um, just to piggyback off, let me not let me try to be succinct. But I think also the setting itself, like being on a podcast, is you, you tend to get into, and you, you, this man is just he talking. He's a football player talking with football players about football. You know, you just kind of get into a, a relaxed state, and you're just talking football. So honestly, like like I said, that's why I had to listen to try to 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 source that that soundbite to see. And it, it just really didn't come across that way. To me, it, it honestly just felt like a man was just speaking football. Again, sometimes I think people need to be more aware of things that they say and how it would come across. But Teddy Bridgewater ain't losing any sleep over this and Matt Rule shouldn't either. It's not that serious. Agreed. No. well, as you may mention of sourcing some bites, this one, I had to go source myself, AJ. No, you have a greater appreciation for this guy than I do. So we'll just start there. I'm I'm putting it out there as full disclosure. Colin Coherd from Fox Sports. AJ, did you hear what Coherd had to say about Tua Tungvaloa? I did. And the fact that I watch him basically every day, I probably heard it live too. Um, now, nah, but I think this one was a side segment. But yeah, no, nah, I do, I do, I did hear. It. <sighs> So, you know, there's that statement that I'm sure you heard it from your mother. I definitely heard it from mine, especially knowing that, you know, as I just mentioned, being being King Petty and the mouth that I have on me, 
If you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything. Apparently, Colin Coherd either never heard that or he's completely forgotten it. So Colin Coherd, after the... This is so... For me, it is disturbing and it's disgusting. After the schedule release, remember, we did talk about, you know, the big release program for the schedule. They made mention of the Miami Dolphins first, well, the schedule that the Dolphins are going to play. And Coherd goes through name by name, team by team, to talk about every quarterback on each of these teams. And then I quote, he said, he's going to look smaller. He's not going to have the arm. He's not as athletic. He doesn't have the pre-snap excellence right now of a Matt Ryan or a Tom Brady. Those first eight weeks, he's going to be the second best quarterback in eight games. AJ, I'm giving you first crack at this. Talk about your man's Colin Coherd. So because because I tune into him basically every day, right? I know how opinionated he tends to be. And let me put this out there. First of all, he's not above calling himself out when he was wrong, right? He has a, I'm pretty sure I've told you this before. He has an entire segment he does every Monday where he said is calling right, calling wrong. The stuff that he was wrong about, he will come out and say so. Saying that to say that if Tua does in, indeed um, exceed his expectations, I'm pretty sure he's going to admit he was wrong about it, right? But let's stay in the know and deal with this. Um, I'm not saying that I agree with where he's coming from because he 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 has this thing against smaller quarterbacks. I, like from hearing it over time, I could hear like he. I, I don't think he was ever really sold on tour even coming into the league. And then based on how last season went, it it didn't change his opinion of him. And so it, it that kind of like came out. It manifested itself in what he was saying here. I I don't agree that he's going to be the second best in all eight weeks. I, at this point, I understand that that um, specifically, like for example, week six at Jacksonville. I I don't know if I can say right now, or or even in six weeks that 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 Trevor Lawrence is going to be better than him. I Trevor Lawrence didn't take a snap in the NFL yet, so I I, I feel that was a little hyperbole in a sense. Um, <laughs> it it. He wasn't trying to. He wasn't trying to say that the games were hard for Miami, but that they would be for Tua. But I, I think he went a little too far there. But he is again. This is one of those things where I, he's very opinionated and he knows it. Sometimes to the point of being controversial, but it's just opinionated. And um, the manner in which he said it, yeah, it, it could come off as a bit snarky, but. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, just go ahead. Just go ahead. Because I, I, I see chomping at the bits to, to get in. So you go ahead. So you may mention of how like, he may have looked at Tua coming into his NFL career. There is a video on the Fox Sports website. Colin Coherd, Tua Tungvaloa has the it factor. So this is a year ago. This is when he was now going to be drafted. He had the it factor then, but apparently he doesn't have the. But he doesn't have the it factor now. 
Apparently, he doesn't have it. He he suddenly lost it. So, one of the things that I find most upsetting about this, right? First off, this is what everybody knows and everybody understands. A football game is usually built quarterback versus quarterback. But a quarterback on one team never passes with the other quarterback trying to run him down. It is the quarterback of X team playing against the quarterback of Y team. It is not going to be Tom Brady versus Cam Newton in week four. It is going to be Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers playing against Cam Newton and the New England Patriots. So let's just get out there from the beginning. You can be the second best quarterback in any game and still win. Because you can do what your team needs you to do, and you can perform at the level that the team wants you to do and win the game. You don't have to remember that epic Monday night game they had between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Los Angeles Rams. The Chiefs lost the game, and Patrick Mahomes had the better numbers in the game. So you can say that Jared Goff was the worst quarterback in that game. He still won the game. It's not necessarily, you don't have to be the best quarterback 17 weeks to have a winning record. So that in and of itself is foolishness. It is absolute rubbish that he's talking and making these statements. Then let's get more into what he actually said. So Coherd he gets and he makes he says that he doesn't have the pre-snap excellence right now of a Matt Ryan or Tom Brady. Well, no kidding. Toys in his second season. So of course he's not going to have the pre-snap reads and understanding of what he's seeing of the level of a 20-year veteran in Tom Brady who is considered by many to be the greatest quarterback we've ever seen in the NFL. Why are you taking a second-year player and comparing him to the supposed GOAT? How is that ever going to work for him? Then you're going to take Matt Ryan, who nobody is considering to be of that level of excellence, but Matt Ryan has been in the league forever. He's been here for a very long time. And then when you then look at how he's talking about the pre-snap, excellence or the reading of the defenses and the understanding these are the same kind of code words that we've been hearing about every quarterback of color for as far back as we can remember i am not letting him get off with just making these statements because i think that him going after tour in the manner that he did is disingenuous especially when you look at the way how he talked about him coming into the league. Now, I have also been critical of Tua, and I've said that you, we've had situations where the Dolphins have had to bring in Ryan Fitzpatrick as like the relief pitcher to get him through a game where Tua has struggled. Fitzpatrick is no longer there, so no Tua is the guy. But at the same time, I'm not out here making statements that anybody else hearing these things is going to take money out of his pocket. And that, to me, it may be unintentional. I'm not going to sit here and say outright that Colin Coherd is trying to be anything. But at the same time, he's using a lot of the same rhetoric that others who will also try to say, well, I'm not 
or I'm not trained to say, or I'm not trained to be, are using. And he should know better. And the, the fact that he is going to sit down and nitpick over the first eight games, I mean, as we just said, in a lot of cases, these teams use the first quarter of the season as an extended preseason. They're still working out everything. They're still trying to make sure they have all of their systems in place and being able to do all of the things that they want to do for the stretch run of the season. So when they get to the playoffs, they're a well-oiled machine and they're ready. They're, they're running. They're going to do everything that they need to do. But you're going after Tua? Tua? Has Tua done him anything? <sighs> so so here's why it's not as big a deal to me, right? Because like I said, I, I basically watch Cohort every day. Um, His show comes on at 12. So that's like morning time when he is in Cali. But by that time, anything else, like first take is done. So I usually switch over to, to watch him. I basically watch him every day. And I'm saying that to say that. Okay, so you could, you could, you mentioned like the particular points where basically what he said about Tua coming into the draft and then what he said most recently. But the thing is, there is an in between. And he, he has, he has, like, if you watch him regularly enough, he does admit that his opinion changes based on the information that's at hand. So, yeah, he may, he may have been big. And I, that was, I, that probably set my mind because in watching uh, up, up until this point, like, I know how it got to this point where he criticizes Tua because he has kind of been doing it. He had, he had been doing it as the season was progressing, right? And it's, it, it didn't just come like one week he was like talking about him well and then it's like, bum, all right, this guy's no good or whatever. It was, it was kind of gradual. It was like, all right, I don't know if I like what I'm seeing. Um, yeah, you know, it, it, it's, it's this and that. I'm talking about different situations. And there's, there's one thing that he, he did say too. I, I, obviously, I, these, these claims haven't been corroborated as yet, but he claims... And he usually does have some sources, but he claims, not backing him up on this, that um, Tua isn't necessarily a hit in the dressing room, per se, in the locker room. And I, I, I can't really, like, there's, not, there's no report or anything suggesting that he isn't. Um, so that's kind of a bold claim to make at this point. Um, but yeah, I, I guess because I watch him enough, like, Listening to this in a one-off, and and especially if you only listen to like his sound bites, I understand why he would rub people the wrong way. He is <laughs> you can't you can't listen to just one segment of him because it will come across very badly. Let me also say, but say by the way, I do not think that this is racially motivated in any case. He is very open. From what I've seen, he's very open when it comes to his assessment of players. I, I've never seen any bias towards a particular race or anything like that. I. I I have to say that personally, because if 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 I had picked up on that, I wouldn't be as as intent on 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 checking out his show as frequently as I do, basically. But I guess, like I said, is I kind of see how how these things go gradually with him. So <laughs> I understand your ire, but I just don't share the exact same um, <laughs> yeah disposition at this point. Well, that is fair. And I take your comments because you have much more um, experience listening to Coher than I do. I used to listen to him when he was on ESPN and then when mm -hmm. he left ESPN, like I don't have that much time during the day to watch a lot of sports media. And since we started doing this podcast, I genuinely, generally don't listen to a lot of other people because I am not coming here to regurgitate their takes. When <laughs> we get here, everything you hear, 
is what I think, what I feel. I will do some reading to get some further perspective. And this was the, I guess, this was the rant segment for me today because, yeah, Co heard those comments when they, because they had seen it, but I only listened to it this afternoon. And when they listened to it, I was like, seriously? So, yeah. I can that, understand why we come across like that. I've, I've had to tell one of my other boys this, the same thing I just told you. Like, you can't listen to sound bites because he would really piss you off. He would get the best. Like, yeah, yeah you, you have to be, like, watching him. And then you realize, like, he's not he's not that terrible. But I understand why this would come off that way, though. Yeah. So, that this, your, your statements allow me to get the emotion back <laughs> under control because I did feel myself getting... <laughs> A bit hot under the collar. I, I can tell. I can tell. Yeah. All right. So that is the end of our inaugural. That's what he said. So that now brings us to the final segment of our show this week. It is, as we always go, with our final thought. And this week, it is my turn to give the final thought. And my final thought this week, I, I've called it shout out to the fans. The fans are back. So the 2020 season in sports is one that will live long in the memory, but not for any good reason. COVID-19 closed off many sporting arenas and shut down competitive sports globally for the summer of turmoil, what I call summer 2020. Basketball shuttered mid-March. Baseball this season was delayed. Professional soccer leagues in Europe suspended. Cricket closed down. Euro 2020 moved to the summer of 2021. The Olympics also being moved. Everybody with a vested financial interest in these events scrambling to come up with some form of contingencies. How do we get these sports to still happen and safely? How, how do we fight against an invisible enemy that vaults on the spectrum of the flu to a death sentence? The answer, biosecure bubbles. Athletes sequestered away from the public and in the main from each other until they absolutely had to come out and interact. And these bubbles definitely took their toll and gave us jokes aplenty. We will never forget Lemon Pepper, Lou Williams, sauntering off to Magic City to get wings, or Daniel House, at that time a member of the Houston Rockets, sneaking a woman into his hotel room and then consequently getting kicked out of the NBA bubble. And of course, there was the English cricketer, Joffrey Archer, who got benched during the West Indies tour of England because he left the bubble. And of course, the list goes on and on. Of course, if there were such strict limitations on the players, there had to be restrictions on the fans. And there were the strictest of restrictions, a complete lockout. Fans were reduced to watching all of the games on TV or their preferred streaming device. The NBA instituted video screens for fans to be a part of the game, as did the soccer games when they restarted. But of course, the atmosphere wasn't there. Previously unheard interactions were echoing in these empty stadiums. Some NFL players described the lack of atmosphere as eerie. Remember, 
These are professional athletes that some practices are held in front of the fans. They've been playing in front of fans their entire lives, and now it is players, coaches, officials, and media. And the chorus from the players was just as loud as their calls on game day. They missed us, the fans, cheering them on. Now the restrictions are easing. People are getting vaccinated. Cities and states are opening up again. Well, India, unfortunately, is being great with the worst second wave of diagnoses and deaths that any pundit or prognosticator could have predicted. Fans are back in the stands at soccer games, basketball games, and baseball games. Life is going back to normal, and the players, for the most part, enjoy having the fans around. Even um, for an example, Damian Lillard of the Portland Trailblazers, he made mention of the fact that the team seemed to play better when they went on the road than when they were playing at home because they were the last team to allow fans back into the stands. Unfortunately, there's another darker side to having the fans around. The racism that seems inescapable continued unabated online while fans were locked out from the games. Ex-players, teams, and leagues withdrew from social media platforms from a limited time in an attempt to force the platforms to do something to combat the racism their players face on a daily basis with the levels of vitriol turned up after a poor performance in a game. But nothing has changed. UEFA and FIFA came out stridently against the European Super League and promised to ban the teams from their domestic and European competitions, all in the name of protecting the game for the fans. But they still are oddly quiet on the issue of racism that permeates their support to frightening levels. And with the threats of expulsion, the fans took the streets to protest the English teams who had agreed to join up with this cash grab of a tournament. Where they were most pe mostly peaceful, it all came to a head when Manchester United, who were slated to face their arch rivals Liverpool in an important English Premier League clash, found their walls stormed and gates thrown down like it was the US capital. Fans were in the stands, but in protest. They were on the pitch and even invaded the dressing room, causing the match to be postponed. The direction of their ire was their ownership group, the Glazers, who, due to a management style and practices that are uncommon of English club owners, have stoked the ire of their team to where their involvement at the European Super League was seen as the proverbial straw that brought the camels back. They had had enough, and they were going to let them know it. But restraint is needed in these matters, just like in all things. My beloved Arsenal also joined up for the ESL, but while our fans are desperate to see the backs of the Cronkies, we didn't storm the Bastille. And while fans are disappointed or outraged should their favorite team's players play a disappointing game, there is no room for racism. No matter what, there can be no justification for the hateful speech and threats to any player, especially on the basis of the color of their skin. Maybe FIFA and UEFA and all other governing bodies should stop looking to safeguard their purses and take meaningful steps towards eradicating the scourge of racism from the games. After all, they claim they were trying to protect the game for the fans. 
Maybe it's time to protect the game from some of them too. Just a thought. I'm not going to add anything. I, I, I think that was well articulated, very eloquent, as, you, as per usual. I, I, you know I've shared the same view with regards to UEFA and, and um, their handling of this situation. And specifically, or, or I always make mention of the fact that Glenn Camaro was banned for receiving racist um, abuse from another, an opposing team's uh, member. Other guy got 10 games, he got three games for receiving the, the, the um, racism. So I stand firmly with what you said and hopefully something will happen in our great game that, that could circumvent this issue for good or at least minimize it. Indeed. Well, that brings us now to the end of another Green Beige podcast. As always, this airs on Wednesdays, and you can always catch it on demand in your favorite um, podcast source everywhere but Apple Podcasts. So as always, that is AJ. He is the green. I am Ken. I am the bitch. Like and subscribe to the Green Bitch Podcast. We will see you on the